0: This is a reading from John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them And the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worship what they do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then the disciples returned and surprised to find him talking to a woman, but no one asked, What do you want? Or, why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe with harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done that hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The Word of the Lord.
1: We come to uh, the season of Lent with a expectation that it's about renunciation. It's about giving up stuff. Give up chocolate for Lent. Give up donuts for Lent. Give up chocolate donuts for Lent. (laughs) No! (sighs) Maybe there are other things we ought to consider in the act of renunciation during the Lenten season. Maybe... Maybe the act of giving up walls for Lent is an appropriate call of the gospel on our lives. It seems to me that this story, this long story in John's gospel that, that we read so much into, is at its core Jesus inviting not just the Samaritan woman in Sychar or the village of Sychar or his disciples, but us 2,000 years later, maybe the invitation is give up the walls. Give up the barriers that you create so that you're able to determine us and them. Walls simply help us define who the other is, and whether they are worthy of being in our space or not. That's the fundamental purpose of a wall. And it's not entirely a bad wall, uh, not entirely a bad thing. Walls serve a purpose. Houses without walls tend to lose things, tend to get cold at night, so... I'm not here this morning to suggest that walls are an evil, wicked thing that we ought to do away with, but in our discernment together as the people of God. What are the walls that we need to remove? What are the barriers that we need to let go of? What are the ways in which we define them versus us that can allow us instead to hear Jesus' words, that all are welcome. The thing that makes John's Gospel so radical is that over and over and over again, Jesus makes it clear that the Gospel isn't just for His people. Jesus was born into a context. he, God incarnate, but lived in first century Judea, as a Palestinian Jew, as part, of, as part of synagogue and village life in Nazareth and Capernaum. He, he lived in that environment. He grew up in that environment. And, and so he, he had a point of view and a perspective. But his words, his message, over and over and over again was, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That when he was tired and thirsty and he sat down by a well in Samaria, he said to a woman, would you give me something to drink? The most profoundly radical thing a first century Palestinian, (laughs) rabbinically trained Jew could do. And so this story presents to us uh, a set of of ideas, a a set of concepts about how we can be about the work of breaking barriers down. The story begins in John 4, verse 5, with Jesus telling his disciples of the necessity of this trip. He had to go through Samaria. Well, no, he didn't. The AAA map Clearly showed an alternative route. Jews for hundreds of years had developed alternative routes to get from uh, Galilee to Judea without having to go through Samaria. Everybody knew the way to go to stay on the right side of the tracks. And Jesus says, We got to go through Samaria. Very first the very first boundary-breaking act that Jesus does in this story is he he doesn't pay attention to the geography. He doesn't pay attention to the social geography of his time, which was, if you're a Jew, avoid Samaria at all costs. He said, no, we're going to go through Samaria. Here we go. Saddle up. And then... It's hot, because it gets hot in the Middle East, and he's tired, the text says, and he sits down at the well in Sychar. It's the middle of the day, the disciples have all gone into town to buy food, good luck with that. That's going to be an interesting and painful experience for the disciples, <clears throat> but uh, along comes a woman in the middle of the day, which is not the time of day you draw water. You come to the well in the morning because lifting that, that water and carrying it is hard, hot work, and you do it in the cool of the day. But this woman comes midday. Probably some reasons for that. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And in our quasi, semi, sort of egalitarian World, when men speak to women and women speak to men without thinking about the social conventions we don't get how radical this really was for Jesus to say to the Samaritan woman could I have a drink of water was so profound as to almost be absurd for this woman to hear you're You're a Jew, and from sort of the way you're dressed, I can tell you're a Jewish religious person. You're a rabbi, and you're asking me for a drink? You're asking me? The the Greek text is clearly an interrogative. You're asking me for a drink? If a Jew were going to want something from a Samaritan, they would have told them, give me a drink. But Jesus asked. I have a drink of water. Totally radical. It breaks all kinds of barriers, all kinds of taboos, all kinds of good social norms that are put in place for our protection and for our goodwill. Men shouldn't talk to women. Jews shouldn't talk to Samaritans. Rabbis shouldn't talk to the Hoi polloi. And in one question, Jesus breaks all those barriers. And I think getting our heads around that, hearing the radical nature of that, is, is the gospel for our time. That Jesus was unwilling to let the social community of his day dictate to him the relationship that God intended him to have with another person. Now, the text tells us that the disciples have gone off to buy food, and so Jesus and the Samaritan woman get into this dialogue. It wasn't just one question. It became a Oh my gosh, it became a conversation. Uh, This woman had probably never had a conversation with a man who wasn't her husband that was that long in her life. And Jesus is sitting there at the well having a conversation. And the barriers fall down. Racial barriers. Gender barriers. Historic barriers. There's... The, the Samaritans and the Jews had different narratives about what went on in their world. And so when the Samaritans, you know, put up signs that said, Samaritan lives matter, you know, the Jews will respond, well, Jewish lives matter too. Sort of. They had different historic understandings, and Jesus and this woman explode those barriers. There were family barriers. Go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Well, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. Now, we love in Western society to point to that and say, ooh, she was bad. She was a naughty, naughty woman. Five husbands and living with some guy. Well, okay, think about this for a minute. First century Palestine, what does a woman do to make ends meet? She gets married. We don't know the story about the other five husbands. We don't know what kind of creeps they were. We don't know if they died. We don't know anything about them. All we know is that this was an economically, socially vulnerable woman who was doing the best she could. So let's stop shaming the Samaritan woman for a few minutes. And let's look at her as somebody who had real, live needs. Jesus simply said, Go get your husband. Go get your family. Go, go bring your people and let's, ha- let's continue this conversation. Let's go deeper. This wasn't Jesus shaming this woman for being a sinner, she already knew that. It was about Jesus wanting to expand the circle, to break down some more barriers. And then there were the theological barriers. Well, we worship one way, you worship the other way, and Jesus says, none of that's going to matter. There is a new, a new way coming, and it's not going to matter if you have a temple on Mount Gerizim and we have a temple on Mount Zion. It's not going to matter. What's going to matter is, are you listening to God in spirit and in truth? That's what matters. Well, John's gospel has a way of just sort of cutting stories off, really when they're beginning to get interesting. And that happens. These clumsy, knucklehead disciples show up with lunch. And they are... John's John's text is so so funny. They're surprised to see Jesus talking with a woman. That is not what the Greek says. The Greek says... They were flummoxed. They were totally bamboozled. They were gobsmacked. They were amazed that Jesus was talking to a woman. And they simply didn't know what to do with it. So they, you know, they do what they they do throughout John's gospel. They start to sort of backpedal and well, maybe you have other kinds of food we don't know about. And Jesus, did you get some food somewhere else? And what's going on here, man? And, and Jesus just, oive. <laughs> you disciples, look. There's there's food, and I bring that true food of conversation that breaks down barriers, that heals. And then the disciples just say, oh, okay, can we eat now? And John ends this story with this epilogue of this Samaritan village, Sychar, this home of Jacob. News in a new way. And everybody begins to take it seriously, and they begin to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the one God had pledged to us if we would live in the covenant. And Samaritans, of course, felt like they had lived in the covenant so much better than their, you know, the Jewish majority. But here was the Messiah. They flocked to him. They flocked to him to the point where they they didn't they didn't need this woman's testimony driving the conversation anymore. It was it wasn't just. One woman having a conversation with Jesus that other people sort of listened into. Now it was a whole village talking with Jesus, and he delayed his trip. He stayed in that village and visited with folks, had conversation, and I suspect ate at their tables and got to know these Samaritans and broke down kinds of barriers. John talks about the true food. And that food is God's work of reconciliation. The, the food that, that God offers us, the food that, that, that heals us, that makes us whole, that enriches our lives, that brings us life is the breaking down of barriers, the reconciling, the reaching across the divides of our lives, the the no longer having us versus them, but the recognition that we are one in God through Christ. And this comes about in different ways for the different actors in this passage. In with the Samaritan woman, there's this invitation to reconciliation, and it begins with a simple question. Will you, can you give me something to, to drink? It begins with, with Jesus placing himself in a position of need. And it continues as Jesus dignifies. The opening question, will you give me something to drink, is, a, is an act of dignifying the Samaritan woman. He could have demanded water. And he would have been legally okay to do that in his culture. But he asks, he dignifies, he realizes this woman's got to carry a load in the heat of the day. And he wants to take some of that. Water that she's going to need to run her household. Can I have a drink? Dignifies her. He tells her the truth. Yeah, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't your husband. He doesn't he doesn't tell her the truth as a way to shame her. He doesn't say, "Aha, I've got you now." It's not a gotcha moment. It's simply the truth. It's simply holding up the mirror and saying, "This is this is who you are." But Jesus then restores her to her community. Because whatever's been going on, the fact that this woman came in the middle of the day to get water and didn't come with the other women of the village says something about her standing in the community. That it was tenuous. And Jesus says, go back and tell your husband. Go back and tell the village. And she becomes the point of contact. A conversation with the Messiah. Jesus restores her to her community. This is something that happens consistently in the Gospels. When Jesus heals somebody, he dignifies them, and he restores them to their community. It happens over and over and over again, and it happens here. Not, not a physical healing, not a, not a miracle as such, But a woman who had been ostracized and left to go fetch water in the heat of the day had discovered dignity, had been told the truth, and had been restored to her community. The disciples stumble into this as they always do. And Jesus about the mission he's been called to, and that by extension, they've been called to, and that by extension, we've been called to. That mission is to provide the true food. The, the image in the, the metaphor in the video was to be one of stone catchers. I think another, another image for us is to be restaurateurs, to be folks that set a table for everyone to come and enjoy the feast without respect to who they are, but to give them the dignity of what what the kitchen can prepare, and to see community break out across the tables. And that means that as Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says to them, look, you've got got to come up with with a way of life that can sustain this work. This is not for the easy and faint hearted. The, the work of bringing the true food is hard work. So it requires sustainability, it requires discernment. Looking, looking out at the field and seeing that there are people who live without dignity, who live without the truth, who are alienated from their communities. That's what, that's what Jesus means when he says the fields are white unto harvest. Not that, oh, people are ready to pray the sinner's prayer, as important as that might be. It also means there's a community of folks who have lost their dignity, who are unwilling to confront their truth, who don't live in community. Can you go to them and ask for a drink? requires discernment. And then it requires community. That the disciples stick together, band together, be together, and form bands of disciples who live and work together. So this morning, some questions for us. What are the barriers that we face to reconciliation? Where have we lost dignity? Where have people in our In our networks of relationships, where have they lost their dignity? Where have they become unwilling or unable to confront their truth? Where are they missing community? And what do we need to engage in Christ's call to reconciliation? What are the sustainable practices we need to form together? so that we can support each other in that work of dignity making and truth telling and community building how do we discern the times how do we look at the field that's white unto harvest and not see it as crops to exploit but a community to husband and to care and to tend How do we build a community of action and reflection, of doing and being, of living into the good news, and then taking time to come apart and reflecting on that, and listening to God's call in a fresh way? How do we do those things? I'm not sure I know, but I do know one more thing. Actually, Jürgen Moltmann, a German theologian, knows it better than I do. The truth of human freedom lies in the love that breaks down barriers. The truth of human freedom lies in the love that breaks down barriers. Brothers and sisters, can we give up the building of walls for Lent and then maybe leave the building of walls behind when Lent is over? Can we break down the barriers that put dignity on one side of the wall and a lack of dignity on the other side of the wall? That put community on one side of the wall and alienation on the other side of the wall. Can we break those walls down? Can we break them down out of love? Because that's where our freedom lies. ticking the right boxes that makes you the right kind of Christian for the right kind of church, doing the right kind of stuff. As nice as it is. Some of you got that. Good, good. But it's about living into the truth of human freedom. The breaking down of walls, not out of anger, but out of love. And in that love, that love that asks simple questions like, can I have something to drink? We discover our own reconciliation with God. Thanks be to God for his word.